So, would you believe it? We are at the end of 2022, and JB yes. and I have our final podcast of the year. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, good overnight. I'm Anthony. And I'm JB, and I got here by the skin of my teeth. I nearly, nearly ran out of time. Something was wrong with my computer, with my Bluetooth, but it's all right now. Oh, that, you, sound, you sound a little bit husky, Mr. Brad, if you don't mind me saying. <clears throat> well, it was cheese night in the pub last night. Oh, and cheese peace. night uh, is quite a big deal for the locals in Ramsgate. And you force down a whole load of cheese uh, plus mulled wine and then probably about five bottles of Prosecco. And that was me. So if I'm sounding a little bit ropey, Ooh. it's because I had a little bit of a big one last night. As nice, nice. Well, I had my big one tonight. We have our um, monthly uh, street pub get together. Um, but it is obviously the festive special, bearing in mind it's the last Thursday before Christmas. So inevitably, I'm glad we recorded this today and not tomorrow. But uh, you're sounding a lot better, Ant, because the last time I spoke to you, um, you sounded really rough. I was going to say a bit Kermit the Froggy. <laughs> um, I've still, I've still got the chesty kind of cough, which is why occasionally I'll meet myself briefly to cough. But other than that, um, I'm feeling much better. Thank you for asking. I've got a, I like you. I've got a bit a street thing on tonight. I, um, I stupidly um, volunteered us and our Mazda Bongo. For those of you who don't know what a Mazda Bongo is, it's a camper van uh, to raise money for a local charity and. Um, we line up all the bongos in a little sort of all the all the camper vans and motorhomes in a in a sort of ring, um, hmm. and then because all of the camper vans and motorhomes are from different countries of origin, so there's an Italian one, uh, ours is a Japanese one, and there's an American one, I think. Anyway, so all of the nationalities are represented by um, the drink. And the culture and the music and the the theme that each of these camper vans and motorhomes has on it, and of course it's raining, and being um, uh, kind of inclement weather uh, here, yeah. it's going to ruin ruin our our plan, which was a white sheet and various red dots, hmm. um, and I am actually wearing a judo outfit, uh, and so that's going to get rained on. So, uh, yeah, and then Asahi beer and uh, sushi and all of that kind of business. So that's right. my plan for tonight. That sounds even more jolly than mine, which is just going to the pub with a load of mates. But I wish I was with you instead, to be fair. I'm going with my spaceman mate tonight to the pub as well. So, oh, great. Um, yeah, that's all really very exciting. Um, anyway, so um, those of you that haven't listened to the podcast before, um, we record these um, every fortnight-ish. Um, we are probably going to make a New Year's resolution to try and fix on that fortnightly thing. But JB and I have been super busy this year. And as ever, we try and tackle the leadership subjects of the day, any articles that JB and I have found on the internet. Plus, of course, your listener questions. Um, if you want to submit a question, you're listening to the recording in the live audience, you submit it in the chat 
Um, if you're listening to this via any podcast provider where you get your podcast from, you can just email us podcast at C or oh, sorry, GLP at seedle.com. GLP stands for Global Leadership Podcast at Seedle. That's S-E-E-D-L.com. And those questions come through to us and we then debate them and discuss them in our next episode where it becomes available. We have two listener questions today, Mr. Bradley. And I did forewarn you of one in WhatsApp and then another one arrived when I checked my inbox this morning. So we have two listener questions, but I know you also had an article that you shared earlier on in the week, which you wanted to kind of kick around today. Well, I did. And um, I just stumbled across it the other day and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And it's about... um, the perspective of uh, really, really high performance and high performance cultures in organisations seen through the eyes of a Navy SEAL. Okay. And that's not a ar, 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 SEAL. That's a that's a real retired SEAL. <laughs> um, and, and this guy um, says that uh, elite teams thrive when challenged. Uh, and so do exceptional people. Is that ringing some bells with you, perhaps? I think so. We, we So JB is probably referring here to our idea of optimal challenge in leadership. Um, too little challenge, people become bored or they think they're no longer needed and feel undervalued uh, and over-supported. But over-challenge can actually scare people to the point they don't want to make decisions because they feel that they're taking risks all the time. So that would be certainly my interpretation of that particular word, Mr. Bradley. Is that what you're alluding to? I Absolutely. And so the idea is that it's about practice and practice and practice and practice. Those aren't the five um, things that we're talking about, but um, <laughs> it, it's it's basically getting the resilience of the team absolutely focused and harnessed towards the mission so it's making sure that the mission is absolutely clear um, and that he refers to as creating a mission focused culture and and that's the that's the kind of starting point so um this guy i can't find his name i don't forget what his name is um but the first thing that he talks about is groom grow and promote individual talent so that's the that's the starting point and i guess groom grow and what's the third one well i quite like it it's, it's so you groom them mm-hmm. and obviously that's got other sort of connotations but it, we're talking navy seals here so i think we're okay yeah we're safe space um groom grow and promote individual talent mm. Um, and this uh, creates longevity and retention in these high-performance teams um, that we look at. Um, and in, built into that, of course, is stability and resilience. So the grooming and growing is constantly developing your team to be able to deal with those challenges. So even when you don't have a mission that is critical, you're still practicing as if it is. And um, I was lucky enough to spend a couple of days with the um, British Special Boat Service uh, in Poole. I remember this. Mm. And I can't for the life of me remember how on earth I managed to end up in this place, but I did. And they were incredible. And they showed us the amount of practicing that they do 
in between missions. And every time they practiced, it was as if their life depended on it. So they were utterly challenged. And they put me through the, the most uh, horrendous challenges. One of them was having clothes pegs stuck all over my face. And it was a funny, bizarre competition. Um, and if you can imagine having your entire face covered in clothes pegs, uh, it's it's not pleasant. But at the time, I beat the special boat service. Um, what do you call it? Um, number of people who'd done it before, I beat them all. I became the champion of the clothes peg face. Uh, wow. which is a completely different thing altogether. The, the clothes peg was... face, is that to kind of give the impression that you um, you want to um, uh, have the feeling and sensation of cold water? Is that what the clothes pegs are for? No, it was just an evening game. They They kind of like exerting a little bit of pain on people, I think. Um, I think they get quite good kicks out of it. Um, every, every, everything that they ever do uh, involves a, a degree of resilience and testing your metal. And right. so uh, everything that we did was kind of driven towards that. We, so we went across um, the Solent uh, very fast in a, in a, well, it's more than an inflatable rubber dinghy. It was one of those, you know, really, really big, powerful um, things. And it just, it was flying over these waves. And when it landed, oh my God, it was excruciating. Um, and that's probably all I can tell you because the rest is secret, top secret. So is there, <clears throat> um, I take it from a leadership perspective, this is all around crisis leadership and stuff like that, is it? Or have I got that bit wrong? Well, no, very much. So um, businesses need to actively groom, grow, and then promote people from within to establish alignment with the mission, the team, and the future. So it's getting, it's making sure that we've got the right people um, and then constantly giving them these optimal challenges. And so everybody is treated individually and they are groomed uh, and they are developed to grow. Um, and then once the, all of that is established, then they are promoted um, and everything is aligned uh, to the focus of the mission. So it's it's mission critical stuff. Everyone understands precisely what the mission is, life, like your, your life depends on it. So um, that's the, the starting point. And then um, you, you coach to develop strong teams. Um, so we know all about um, coaching and coaching the individuals, but also coaching uh, the entire team as well um, to guide and improve the performance of the individual and the team. So, um, he refers to that as a sort of collaborative energy uh, right. going on there when you get the whole team being coached and then they coach themselves uh, towards the mission that they're going for. You know, even if it's just a practice mission, it's still real. Yeah. As if your life depends on it. Um, and then you've got your mentoring um, and that's described as mentoring to develop wise leaders. Um, so it, it's making sure that all the, um, mission and the values um, and the awareness uh, that you need as a leader is mentored. So everyone gets a mentor 
in the business in in the business but in in the navy seals um and they are nurtured which is all pretty cool um and then from there the third point is seeking information insight and inspiration which kind of chimes with stuff that we talk about um in making sure that um teams are given some sort of inspiration they're clear the, the leader is clear about the direction of travel and where things are going to go um and also how to inspire people to to get there so a, a big job for the for the navy seal boss is to do just that um anyway i thought it was quite an interesting little angle on a navy seal view uh, of what needs to happen uh, in business if you're going to go about it uh, as a navy seal uh, to build your high performance culture see we we like this kind of idea of 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 i mean look there's there's a whole host of elements we can think about here number one is why on earth would we um want someone to go on a training course for example and not feel like it's real life uh, JB and I often talk about if you're going to be taught to ride a horse or you're going to be taught to go and ski, what you don't do is sit in a classroom for three days looking at loads of PowerPoint about how to ski. You get out on the ski slopes, you get the you get on the blue run, the green run, possibly even the red run, and you go through those motions, as JB says, as if the life depends on it. And I think actually this also comes into, I guess, from a challenge perspective for me, JB, that that people need to learn through experience. Um, and being challenged in that experience is going to be the things that are going to make them feel, hopefully, that they're they've that they've done something that builds their confidence. So I, I think this optimal level of challenge that you and I talk about day to day is is such an important thing. And and you could argue if you're teaching these people to ski and only putting them in a PowerPoint presentation style room, that they're going to leave two or three days later, get on their skis, and probably crash into something and injure themselves. So it's so important that actually when we are doing these things, that it, it, it it's it's as real life as possible. And I guess in the, the lifeboat example, JB, it really was, if you mess up here, it's as dangerous as it's going to be in real life. Well, so the, the, the guy I was sitting next to who happened to be um, a special boat service guy, um, I said, how often do you do this? And it, it's every day. And he did tell me a story that a few years before uh, they were out maneuvering and practicing and two of these high-speed uh, boats collided and uh, one of the soldiers got his arm cut off um but he he saw, it was really interesting it was like but that's you know shit happens that's just one of the things that you just got to take on board uh, when you're one of these guys you know the practicing is so real you know, they get they get really pumped up and I've seen it. I've been been kind of involved in it, but not not, you know, not where my life was threatened, I hope. Um, but, you know, they are they are practicing like it's for real all the time. And I, I, that kind of energy, uh, I think sometimes lacking in some teams and organizations, it's like uh, it, it goes to a point where people aren't challenged enough um there are other challenges of course of trying to work in a in a team and you can tell sometimes a team that's not collaborating or communicating effectively don't they complain about too much work all the time and that sounds a bit mean but sometimes when i look at teams that i'm working with i i notice that 
actually some of the reasons why uh, they don't have enough time and they're stressed is because they're not communicating. They don't they don't have that sense of um, critical mission. They're not they're not practiced enough uh, to deal with the crisis that comes their way because it's the first crisis like that they'd ever ever experienced. They haven't kind of um, done the practicing around it, and they haven't worked as a team to deal with with a a, a situation. Um, that would test all of their skills and their abilities and their communication skills um, and their clarity around their own communications. So I just think it's quite an interesting uh, metaphor, really, um, thinking about uh, either the Navy SEALs or special boat service or whatever. How do we get a team into that high performance culture? you know what 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 this is the kind of stuff that we we want to talk to teams about is is generating that high performance culture we know that an awful lot of that is about trust yeah um so in real life how do we simulate those lifeboat scenarios for our people without them falling overboard or is that not possible well so um napoleon bonaparte used to march his army around europe even if there wasn't a battle on he would keep marching them um and he was he was building up their resilience in doing that you know he was making them stronger um and i i think sometimes we have to uh, build into our work uh, points of innovation and risk-taking and do new stuff uh, that we don't normally do and push push a mission forward to create new missions and new ways of doing things on a, on a pretty constant basis rather than the day just the day-to-day -day where people can get lost in that sort of task land uh, of the everyday and they they're actually not encouraged to take risks there is a no no risk culture you know we can't afford to fail failure is not an option i never want to work in one of those cultures i don't know about you Ant, but I, I i would not thrive in a situation where risk taking cannot take place i think this comes back in sorry i was just uh, had a child making some racket in the background because ah. of course it's christmas holidays here um I'm in a very similar place to you, uh, and I've commented about this before, that uh, sometimes you look at people on social media, let's say LinkedIn, and they say, you know, fantastic last three years at my old job, you know, wish all my former colleagues well, such an experience, blah, 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 but looking forward to the new challenge. And you think, ah, okay, the undercurrent in that is I'm not challenged anymore yeah. in my current role. And the truth is, is that I think often I've left companies not, you know, and, and it might go down as my boss. I love my boss, but my boss is my reason for leaving. And I think sometimes there is this preconceived idea that, um, that leaving because of my boss is because I don't like my boss. Actually I do. They just, they're too supportive. And I think what, um, what we're getting at, I suppose here is that as leaders, we have to challenge our people and make them feel a little bit risky sometimes to learn new stuff. I'm going to talk about a colleague that works with me at the moment, and they will remain nameless. 
but each year I know that I need to give them something that's going to scare the sense out of them. So last year, we, we have this relationship where if they say, no, I can't do that. That's too, that's too far for me. Then I would pull back from, pull them back from the edge if that makes sense. But last year, for example, they were really scared about, you know, doing the technology in a webinar. So when me and JB do these webinars, typically JB turns up as a panelist and I do all the controlling. Um, JB can run webinars on his own, but <clears throat> that's how we do things. Um, and one of my colleagues has always been a JB, but is the only subject matter expert. And they always have someone on the webinar pressing the buttons, a technical operator, they used to call it in radio land. And um, last year, about a year ago, actually this time, because I said next year, within the month of end of January 2022, I want you to have run a webinar solo. And they were petrified <laughs> but knew it was the right thing to do. And will you be there to hold my hand? Yes. It, you know, professionally, of course. Um, and um, now they they run them all the time and are really glad they've got that newfound skill. They feel more valued by the company because they feel that actually we can't operate without them now because we don't have to have someone doing technical operations. Instead, they can have someone that is there to read the messages from the audience instead and things like that, which is a much better use of their time. And if they do need to fly solo, they can fly solo without worrying too much. So that has been a, a perfect example of just pushing people over the edge of that red run and making them feel challenged. Now, interestingly, this year, we're going to make them do a subject that they've been passionate about in their personal life. But now we're going to ask them to write a course for it on CEDAW. Oh, um, wow. and, and they've been studying this subject for about two years quietly, completely different subject to what their specialty is in. And within three months, they're going to be running a course for our users on it. So again, on Amazonian nose flute playing. Yes. While upside down, um, wow. suspended. Yeah. So, you know, this is a brand new bit of content that you're going to get, ladies and gents, if you're a, a Seedle subscriber. That's fantastic. I, it, I feel very lucky, actually, because um, a lot of my earlier life in radio, um, I there were so many things that I could do in that world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, suddenly you'd find yourself pitching to Coca-Cola at McCann Erickson, the biggest agency in town at the time. And, you know, suit, suited and booted in a, in a, in a massive great ad agency with a model of a, of a roadshow system that would go across the country pretty much and how it was all going to work. And, that was kind of stuff that I'd never done before. And then the few weeks later, I was um, told I had to go and do the traffic and travel report in a flipping helicopter, which was smaller than me. And at the time, I'd never been on air in my life. <laughs> and the damn thing went up into a helicopter. And now we go live over to JB up in the traffic and travel uh, helicopter. And it was like, hey. <laughs> I was absolutely petrified. I'd never been in a helicopter. I was scared of flying. And then I was I was expected to bloody speak. Um, but that pushed that pushed and challenged me all the time. I feel very lucky. I, and some people you meet in um, offices and you just know there's a really bright person here, but they're not challenged enough. There's not enough challenge. So I, I think how to how do you create this constant energy where people have all of these opportunities and I, I know that in some businesses it's not possible uh to create 
these things all the time. But yeah, I think it for a leader, a good leader, it's actually knowing how to create the optimal challenge uh, for every individual around them, wherever possible. You know, it's a bias towards uh, creating that challenging world that excites people so that they can become comfortable with the uncomfortable so that when shit hits the fan in the business or there's a big opportunity, a merger or a takeover or some sort of huge thing that's about to happen, they're pretty much ready for it. You know, they, they, they've got a culture that is a high performance culture because they are able to take appropriate levels of risk in their work. And I, I would refer to it as controlled explosions, things, things that you can do that don't screw up the business or hurt anyone else, because those are the boundaries that are set. But practice within that and come back to me and tell me how you got on with it. Um, one final metaphor you could give is is um, if you've ever watched kind of TV shows where people jump out of planes and do things that are going to scare them, nine times out of ten after they've done that parachute jump or whatever, they land and they go, oh, my God, that was the best experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that almost encapsulates the point we're trying to make here, that as a leader, we have a responsibility to create those parachute jump moments of pushing people into unsafe or scary territory in their mind, but it's safe. And we know that we're there to catch them if they fall or we're going to be, you know, winched onto the back of them. And when they land, we want them to turn and say to us, thank you so much for giving me that challenge. Um, and that encourages people to do it again. Oh, can we do it again? We go again then. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. The most obvious one in corporate land for me is public speaking. Um, JB yeah. and I have spent a lot of time pre-pandemic actually doing face-to-face um, public speaking training events and the euphoria that's created by the cohort as they leave the program when they've all stood up at the end of it and done a speech often filled with tears cheering celebrations it's very rewarding for me and jb by the way but um it excites these people to go and try those skills again um, and you and i jb will know actually i think it was about 18 months ago when we did a virtual version of that program and um, at the end of it, we challenged every participant to go and do something that scared them, as in this public speaking challenge. And about two or three weeks later, we had an email from this lady um, based in the oh, Americas, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, who said, I was very skeptical about this idea, but I thought, no, they've asked us to do it. We're committed. I'm going to do it as part of my learning experience. And everyone talked about the story I told after the event. They, you know, they said how good my speech was and how inspiring it was. And I didn't expect to get that reaction. And JB and I just went, there you go. You got it. Yeah. Um, and and we, we have the privilege of being paid to challenge people. Um, a lot of the time th- these days when we are doing face-to-face, it's because they need some face-to-face intervention, which will include putting them outside their comfort zone. And JB and I will often talk about there's going to be uncertainty deliberately built into our two-day plan with you because that's what creates the, the light bulb moments. If you don't know what to expect, that's what happens in real life. Let's simulate that. So I think there is, I think as a leader listening to this podcast, think about how you can constructively put your people outside their comfort zone to challenge them to do new things and watch what happens. We're not asking you to make them do a parachute jump without parachute because that would just be irresponsible. But there are a number of things you can get them to do that once they've done it, they'll be stupidly grateful to you for giving them that opportunity in the first place would be our take. 
Well, I think so. And I, I think a good leader who gets this stuff, the groom, grow and promote individual talent, as this Navy SEAL is talking about, they get how powerful a learning culture is. It's not, not just a thing that they say, it's a thing that they do. You know, they recognize yeah. uh, the effort that people make to learn. And not just the improvement that comes from that, not the target being hit or exceeded, but I recognized the effort that you put into that. I And I know it hasn't been easy. I know some of it was a struggle for you, but you overcame that. And I noticed that. I think really good leaders, that to me, that's what grooming and growing people uh, is all about. It's helping people to be confident in their competence um, on, on, on just continually uh, creating that learning, learning culture. And obviously that's role modeling it yourself as well and being being vocal about stuff that's a bit challenging um, and showing that you're overcoming it and getting the team into that learning culture. Then they start helping each other to learn as well, because that's the way we do things around here. And yeah. and I think that's where this 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 idea of the Navy SEAL world is 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 quite rich in terms of the energy that you need to put into creating that high performance culture, uh, because that's that's based on high levels of trust and high levels of learning uh, within the team. And I think then it gets exciting, and you you'll actually become quite attractive to really talented people who want some of that stuff like it um now i it's now a good time to move on to one of our listener questions oh yes yeah and the re the reason i say that is because um this i think will feed into a 15 minute discussion because it's a great listener question and i'm allowed to use their name gavin de Soiza. thank you for emailing us glp at seedle.com um don't know if we've seen you on any of our leadership webinars but nonetheless um, I'm guessing you must listen to us somehow. So uh, the question reads, what do you think leaders need to upskill on in 2023? And I just thought, actually, it's a really good question, which probably for you and I is a good subject to kick around anyway. 2023, I mean, let's let's briefly, while JB pads and gives him some time to think about a good <laughs> answer, um, let me, let, let's give some context to the reality of what we've ended in in 2022. Um, beginning of 2022, we were still uh, in the hangover period of COVID and looking at the news in the last few days it's a little bit alarming what's going on in china again but still um i digress and at the beginning of 2022 we were looking forward to 2022 being a year where we could get back to normal and to a point um we are back to a newish normal post covid although jb would tell me there is no normal anymore which is probably true because on the day in the uk where all restrictions that were remaining were lifted in the UK. So in other words, from that point onwards, you could do whatever you wanted and there were no more laws in place it was the same day that then Russia invaded, excuse me, the Ukraine. So we went from one chaos, which was becoming under control to a new chaos. And I remember going to a conference that day and that day, um, it was, we came, we, they did a survey about a week before this conference, which was, we knew this date was happening around the, the relaxation of all remaining rules. And there was a huge optimism about 2022. And then bang, um, Ukraine conflict started, new uncertainty. And of course, we're now nine, 10 months, 11 months into that 
experience of the invasion. And we are all paying the price for it in terms of gas prices and energy prices and inflation, which most of us, if we really bless you, JB. Oh, I tried really... to hit the mute button in time. I couldn't get to it. Sorry. <laughs> um, that's fine. Um, if we really look at it, we would rather pay more on our cost of living to protect Ukraine than give in and pay Russia for their energy at a lower price. So you could argue that we've all walked into this collectively, but it has caused a huge amount of uncertainty. So for me, looking now for 2023 as a leader, what do I need to get better at next year? I think this paves the way very nicely into me saying to JB, I guess we need to be better at being ready for the no normal. Do we not? Well, 100%. And actually, I think what we've already spoken about today, uh, about this um, resilience um, and uh, practicing uh, for uh, things that come and bite us in in the night i i think you know have have we got rid of uh covid or or pandemics um i don't think so uh you know any minute now we might get another one coming to bite us again uh we got to be ready for that uh we have learned quite a lot i think in 2022 and uh, previous years about uh flexibility in the workplace well i think we better get to grips with that in 2023 uh and actually work out our flipping plan because i think there are still a whole load of leaders who don't quite know how to deal with flexible working uh some in organizations are saying that they can't stand it and they want everyone back in the office and others say actually it's really working for my team and it's working for me and uh i think some leaders really really need to work out what their flipping strategy is I, I quite a few have um and you know we we've got clients who uh, i think it's fair to say have got to grips with it um, but there are others where they are actually struggling with it and the leadership teams give mixed messages uh about flexible working so i think i think that's an area uh, that really needs to be focused on I think leaders need to be more present uh, in 2023. Uh, and I think that's using uh, technology uh, to, you know, if they're a global organization, get your face into a video and send it out on a regular basis uh, to your people, uh, either live or recorded. Uh, I, I think I think it's really important. Uh, I mean, if you look at um, Zelensky, uh, how he has uh, kept everybody informed uh, about what's happening. He's just been to America. Um, the guy is present. He is in our faces. Uh, he is a brilliant, brilliant communicator. And I think that leaders could learn an awful lot uh, from him. View view your uh, communications to your people, not just as an email, um that goes round to everyone you know the kind of round robin at christmas time or whatever get your face on a video and actually talk to people uh get get visual um and get present uh trust i think uh you know people are going to really really struggle in organizations if they don't have high levels of trust because we know that high levels of trust gives us high levels of performance if you don't have that you're a bit screwed and 
how do you how do you build trust how do you build trust well you know being really honest with your people um is a really really important thing you naturally have to be capable and do what's right for the business and do what's right for the people um you need to make sure that you show that you really really care that you really care you put yourself in the shoes of your people like elon musk Mm. um and you know that you're consistent i don't know why i mentioned elon (laughs) like elon musk how consistent is that guy he's now resigned from twitter hasn't he well he's saying he's gonna he's gonna step down from being chief executive when he's appointed a replacement however he's still gonna run the software teams is he mad i think so i mean he seems to be completely inconsistent or I think consistent in his inconsistency. Yeah. And I think, uh, unfortunately, it's not helping his other businesses because he's a minority shareholder, really, in Tesla. He might be the biggest individual shareholder, but I think he's only got 14% stake in that business now because obviously he's raised so much finance for it over the years. Um, and I suspect, looking at their share price right now, it's as a direct consequence of his handling of how he's leading his other business. But consistency, I agree, is is, is right down there. Yeah. Yeah, um, a, a few extra add-ins from from my side, and JB may have more. By the way, um, on things to learn for twenty twenty three, everything JB said, hundred percent echo. Um, as well as, um, I, I like the the um, Zelensky um, uh, samples and examples here. Um, Zelensky is leading through awful times for his institution. I, I call it country, but for purposes mm, of us mm-hmm. making it more about leadership and business. And me and JB often talk to delegates on our programs that everyone can be a brilliant leader when times are good. Because we are just, excuse me, we're just simply celebrating the successes. That's what we do during the good times. But during the bad times, when uncertainty is rife and volatility is all over the place, and maybe the business doesn't have much consistency. It is yours and my responsibility to steady the ship. Zelensky, I suppose, and would hope, is seen as a brilliant leader to lead us through this absolute chaos. Now, much of it's outside of his organization's control, arguably, but they're having to deal with the blows. And I think there is definitely some lessons to be learned there. If you believe in 2023, you're going to have volatility in your business. That doesn't mean you can't be a good leader. It actually means you can be a brilliant leader because if the com- if it's outside of your control, what's going on in your company, it is in your control to how your people feel about that chaos. You can either make them feel vulnerable and scared by being vulnerable and volatile and inconsistent yourself. But I suspect if, as JB and I have touched upon, which is if Elon Musk is appearing inconsistent with Twitter, there is every possibility that um, in um, that organization that his leaders, the good leaders, are hopefully trying to calm the nerves of those people to say, I ain't hanging around here. This guy is completely messing up our business and our culture. I don't like it. Now, a good leader will then go, okay, well, what's in our control? What can I do to help you do that? Because a good leader, ship sinking or otherwise, needs to be a good leader. Or a leader could stand in front of their team going, this is crazy. Oh, my goodness. You know, this is awful. Oh my God, Let, let's let's drown together in this sinking ship. 
I'm not sure you're going to come back from that very well. Um, and I think that is something. So learning to be a brilliant leader in uncertainty. And I think that's the thing is, is there is no such thing as a normal anymore. Um, there is always something new. We've obviously had in the UK Brexit. We've had um, COVID. Um, we've had um, now Ukraine, which looks like it's going to go into next year, which has obviously caused a trigger event around a cost of living crisis around the world um, with inflation, etc. cetera. Um, now, you know, some leaders could just go, it's awful, isn't it? Oh, well, when times are good again, you're going to remember about how miserable they were when the times are bad. Now's your time to shine. Um, you know, Churchill is another example, I guess, people refer to as a wartime leader. Um, and some leaders thrive in those environments, others don't. But if I was to give you a tip, it would be to be ready for it, because that is going to be the making of you, because there is always going to be a job for businesses to hire leaders that need to take businesses through change. And if you can get used to that and strong at that as a capability, you're going to stand shoulders and heads above other leaders that may have technical skills, but may not be as good at those technical leadership capabilities. I, I, I agree with, with that entirely and um, cut out the ambiguity in 2023, get rid of the ambiguity get clear, um, get your messages and your communication uh, really, really, really clear. And and don't be afraid uh, to get visual, uh, you know, make it make it your 2023 uh, business New Year's resolution to be more visual uh, to your people, and communicate to them what the challenges are. Um, and get them used to perhaps some uh, additional challenges uh, so that they can learn uh, to be more resilient. Use the words optimal challenge for your organization, your teams, um, your senior leadership team. Uh, what are the optimal challenges? So not it not being optimal, it's either because it's too little for the organization and we're not optimally challenged, so therefore we are vulnerable, or we're too challenged and we're losing people. We we have a, a kind of Burning. chairman who keeps saying crazy shit about our business or a CEO who's driving us nuts. Um, you know, we need to we need to make sure uh, that we kind of deal with that situation and possibly give some pretty tough feedback to our bosses in 2023 because we need to be tough on ambiguity. Um, Ant mentioned control, knowing what we can control and what we can't control, and just being good at the bits that we can control, um, really, really getting on top of that. Um, I think with all of that, we need to make sure that we are sensitive to how people are feeling right now, uh, which is, you know, a boatload of support, uh, a boatload of empathy, um, and making sure that we are really tuned into that and asking the right questions. So in a nutshell, I think there are two two key elements to what I think we've been talking about, Ant. Uh, one is challenge and getting that right and communicating the challenge and the challenges to everybody in a timely fashion. And the other word is support. Yeah. And they come hand in hand. So we challenge and we support. 
can we add into the mix um, communication, um, yeah. as in public speaking communication? And yeah. this is not an advertorial for me and JB here, but we seem to spend a lot of time working with teams and organizations where the single voice at the top is the sole communicator to the whole business. Mm-hmm. The Elon Musk is the only voice that seems to be heard by its people. It's quite risky, and isn't it? It is, yeah. Because if you don't like that message, then how you know it, it, it's it's a it's a huge challenge. Um, I, to complement my point, um, and coming back to what we've just touched upon, if you're going to get good with uncertainty and increasing control, then regular communication about what you can talk about makes a huge difference. And we can still inspire people to do great things when things aren't good, but we've got to communicate it. But too often, and a lot of the clients we work with are saying, you know, that, that there's a real problem with cascading of communication. Okay, well, line managers in front of you are saying that's a problem. Well, what are you going to do about it then? What do you mean? It's not my job. It's surely uh, internal comms or the chief executives or HRs. No, it's not. Every line manager has a responsibility to make it their business to cascade what they can cascade to their people and know what it is. So, you know, being on top of your brief and communicating that brief is, is a critical skill. Um, so there we go. Um, uh, Gavin, I hope we answered that question for you. Well, JB, is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think we gave that a pretty good kicking. We did. To be fair. We did. Uh, we have 15 minutes left. Um, if you do have a question and want to submit it to us and you're in the live audience, you can do. Uh, if you're listening to us via um, a podcast, don't forget you can submit your questions. We do have, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> I didn't get time to mute myself there. Oh, dear. Um, we do have a listener question, a separate one, anonymous. Um, and I quite like this one. Um, what's the biggest innovation you've seen for leaders since your careers started? And then secondly, and more fun, what is the thing your grandparents would most be surprised by, by innovation, if alive today? Well, um, my answer is the same for both. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I hope we haven't got the same answer, but I suspect we might. I don't know. Be interesting. I have a different answer for, for a second. Oh, second well, that's second. helpful. Yes. Well, so it's the internet. Yeah, okay. It's the internet. It's got to be the internet. And and so the first part, how that has revolutionized the way that we are able to send messages, um, to communicate um, across the globe fast. Um, I remember getting an order from clients only via the medium of a fax machine and waiting by this bloody thing as it... Printed out the fact that I'd actually sold something. Um, now, you know, the internet has made things so quick and so efficient. So if you can get your head round how to use it and how to make it work as a leader, what a what a revolution that has been in the world of work since I started back in um, the eighteen twenties. <laughs> what What about you? Um, so yeah, for, for 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 business internet, absolutely. Um, I think actually, even in the last few years, um, being able to hold virtual meetings yeah. has transformed the game even further. So as capabilities have improved, speed of internet connections in people's homes have improved. It's it's completely transformed how we um, can get people um, connected in work and play. So I think it's a it's a huge thing. On a personal level, 
grandparents, I think it's a consequence of internet. So there is unfortunately a connection to the internet there. Um, is um, music streaming? Oh yes. Um, now um, this has only come about really properly for us in the last five years or so. I mean, you could download music, but most people didn't have music streaming. You'd have to go and buy the music to own it. Whereas I think music subscriptions would completely wow my grandparents mm. um, because of several things. My family are a historically music loving family. A JB will tell you I, my catalogue of music that I play at the beginning of these webinars are crazy. Anorak. Yeah. Um, and um, and actually, do you know what? And linked to that, if you think of of musical artists that may have assumed that their music would die with them because it's aged and it's on vinyl or CD. You know, those people are being rediscovered now by new generations because that music's available to That's them. That's so true. That's so um, true. So there is a really random example, JB. I don't think you would have, this is you, your eldest may have found this cheesy record of the nineties. Remember a, a song called Scatman John by Scatman. Oh Yes. Yeah, uh, and this guy, his backstory was he um, had a bad stutter. Anyway, he wrote a song off the back of a music record label, and I and he died unfortunately about three years after that record was released. Um, and my kids are obsessed with that song. My youngest yeah. is four years old, and they ask Alexa to to play Scatman John. And yeah. I think, wouldn't it be amazing if he was alive now, thinking that that record was a one-hit wonder that was going to disperse the face of the planet? And thirty years later, there are children requesting that song to be played on their device in their home. Whereas, you know, back in the day, the only people that would be able to enjoy that artist's music were the people that bought the physical copies when they created it. Yeah, um, and. Um, you know, what's interesting, of course, is, is that innovation has also meant that um, I think certain genres of music have aged a lot worse. I think, sick, you know, if we look now, music 30 years ago is still played as much now as it was then. So the 90s music is still heavily rotated on radio airplay. Yeah, in the 1990s, 60s music was pretty much a, a done thing. Certainly in the, in the radio groups you and me worked in, JB, 60s, even 70s was kind of 80s has been a lot more timeless for the modern generations and that's being played now heavily on streaming services but i think on a personal level my grandparents would be wowed about this thing you could just ask a device to play you a song and you could play it instantly without having that to go and find it yeah it's it's madness but of course as you say jb it's connected to the world being connected well i'm still waiting uh for my dream to happen from my childhood I seem to have lost you. Oh, dear. So whilst technology has evolved somewhat, it's not all the way there yet. Uh, and it's, it, no. um, can you hear me now? It's kind of playing catch up a bit. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think you're back. Oh, dear. Yeah, you're back. Okay. Um, can you hear me now? So um, yes, we're not we're not flying around in flying cars, and that disappoints me. I'm a bit, I'm really because I used to draw them all the time at school, thinking, well, this is you know this is going to happen. There's all sorts of things going to happen. That's the one that I really would have banked on. Um, the other thing that I think not is far quite, off, though. 
Really? Passenger carrying drones are being tested at the moment. Mm, we're still not there. I hope oh, in my I, lifetime. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so as well. It, by the way, on the on that note briefly, JB, Back to the Future, of course, uh, Back to the Future 2, if I'm not mistaken, um, they go forward in time to 2015, which, of course, passed part. seven years ago. So a lot of the things they assumed in 1985 that were going to be invented included, you know, flying cars um, and hoverboards that didn't need wheels. Um, and, you know, some of that's about, uh, interestingly, drones taking video footage and that news coverage of Back to the Future 2, that came true because you now will see flying drones used to capture things for news coverage. Um, and traffic and travel is now done by satellite imagery and drones rather than a man in the sky like you used to do, etc. And unfortunately, uh, the drones are being used by the Russian army to mm. bomb the bejesus out of Ukraine, um, yeah. which is very scary. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about um, was the pill. Contraceptive pill? Yeah, for my grandparents, um, I think they would have just found that kind of extraordinary uh you know it has it was an absolute revolution uh for women um to to have more control over um things like that um and that's probably um going to has impacted on um women in the workplace i hope has given us more um, or given them more opportunities to be um, in control of that um, whole birth um, thing. Whole birth thing. <laughs> I mean, the most natural birth, thing in the world. Birthness. I, <laughs> I, I agree. It, I, have you ever read the book Freakonomics? I think I've mentioned this before. Mm. I've, I think I started it and didn't. I think I got a bit lost. Yeah, it's all about changes in legislation that have had a, a, a an impact on on you know numbers and statistics around the world, and the introduction of the contraceptive pill reduced gun crime. Hmm. Um, Thirty years, or well, I think it was eighteen to twenty years later, because unwanted children were predominantly the ones causing crime in the U.S., and they reckoned about eighteen years after the introduction of the contraceptive pill. There was a drop off because the babies were therefore wanted, the majority of them, and therefore habitual crime in those unwanted children because those unwanted children didn't exist, etc. That's amazing. There's a few different things, and they do, they, it's a whole study around it. It's really quite interesting. Anyway, yeah, it, you're right. It's another great innovation. Who'd have thought? Uh, and before we close off, Mr. Bradley, we should ask what are you doing over the festive period for the benefit of the listeners' ears? Well, uh, it is um, today. I'm actually picking up the, the turkey and uh, I have a special thing, a ritual that I do with the turkey. <laughs> I dance around the garden with it. No, I um, I do a brining for 48 hours. I do a marinating for 24 hours and then I barbecue the turkey. Um, but I do this sort of weird contraption, uh, which is to put a bain-marie at the base of the barbecue, which I fill with water and various things like onions and carrots and cloves and nutmeg and all sorts of things. And it steams away under the bird. So the bird is is on top of this in a in a wire cage. 
um, and then I put a little bit more of the marinade on it and baste it around a bit. And this goes on for hours, which means I'm in the garden and pretty much for all of Christmas, which suits me down to the ground unless it's yeah. raining. And I just have a, a case of beer and the bird and me. That's not my wife, by the way. That's the bird in the in the barbecue. Yeah. Um, so that's that. We're not going anywhere. This this year, we are just going to be in Ramsgate. Uh, we're going to watch some crazy people jump into the sea uh, on New Year's Day, I think, and then back to the pub for mulled wine. But you would not catch me uh, going in the sea at this time of the year. In fact, in the UK, I refuse to go in the sea anyway. I only like swimming in the Mediterranean, to be fair. Um, Wittering has a very blue um, swimming area in the sea. That's the only sea I'd go to in the UK because it's super, yeah. super clean and blue. And what about you, Ant? What's your plan? Are you going anywhere, doing anything? We're hosting uh, for uh, father, mother, or should I say father, mother-in-law, uh, and stepfather-in-law, and sister-in-law. Uh, so, yeah, it's a usual hosting shindig, as you know, many young children still in our household. So it's chaos, to say the least. I quite like the idea of barbecue and the turkey in the garden, actually, instead. So, um, mm. no, so that's our plan. Um, we've got everyone on Christmas Day gathering. I think there's a few gatherings at our place over the Christmas New Year period. And I think we've been invited to someone's house for New Year. So... We may well be doing that too. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But a good, one thing I love about Christmas is, so Seed will have a shutdown, which means every employee is off. And that therefore means you don't feel that you're going to get an email that you probably feel you might want to respond to. So when everyone's off simultaneously, everyone can truly switch off. We're quite good at Seed not doing anything over the weekends. That's um, good. But, but when I'm on holiday, I will often be copied into stuff and I feel compelled to read it. So the one thing I do like about Christmas and New Year for most businesses is that shutdown means everyone's off at the same time and you can truly switch off and be family present. And so are you switching off today or tomorrow? Or uh, Today is the hope, actually. I mean, I've got a few yeah. things to do, but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nearly there, which is all jolly, jolly exciting. Um, I but... think Christmas starts when I pick up the bird. Is it? That's it. When I get the turkey, that's it for me. I'm done. It's all very exciting. Yeah. Uh, so, ladies and gents, look, you know, this is our hour up and our final podcast of 2022. Uh, we started this in 2019. So we are nearly into our fourth year of podcasting, which is crazy. And thank you very much for those regular listeners. If you have a question for the next podcast, let us know. Get over to the website or email um, glp at seedle.com, uh, glp at seedle.com. And we'd love to get your listener questions. Uh, other than that, uh, I've been Anthony. I'll leave the final words to Mr. Bradley. Well, a very happy Christmas and New Year to all our lovely podcast listeners. And uh, here's to a very successful 2023. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And Merry Christmas. <laughs>